Welcome to Vision Pros, the show all about spatial computing, Vision OS, and getting work done on the Apple Vision Pro. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. This episode of Vision Pros is sponsored by Agenda. Learn more at www.agenda.com. My grandfather, who, who passed a couple years ago, watching him use a phone was really something. It was like a real empathy exercise because he just didn't have the dexterity. Using your eyes and then just kind of like pinching your fingers will extend the useful life of technology for so many people in so many ways. So I was super excited a lot by that for some weird reason, but my mind, my mind was racing. I just came out of that uh, keynote with a ton of ideas. Welcome back to another episode of Vision Pros. We are inching closer and closer to 2024 and the launch of the Apple Vision Pro. In this episode, we are joined by Clarko, who's fresh off his experience with the Apple Vision Pro at one of the many developer labs. As you can imagine, those labs are not for public discourse, but as you can tell by the runtime of this episode, that does not stop us from diving deep into the potential for Vision OS and how we see spatial computing changing how we work. We also discuss at length his app, SymbolSource, that he is in the process of porting to Vision OS. If you want to support this podcast, the best thing to do is go out and download Agenda, who is sponsoring this episode of Vision Pros. I'll be sharing a bit later in this episode all about the big multi-window update that hit earlier this year for both Mac and iPad, and this update will fit right at home on Vision OS. But for now, head on over to Agenda.com to learn more and get started with this awesome app that I've used for years at this point to produce my podcasts. Another way to support the show and get early access to both iPad Pros and Vision Pros is by supporting the Patreon at visionpros.fm slash Patreon. Or you can subscribe in Apple Podcasts to either Vision Pros or iPad Pros, and you'll get early access to both. My great thanks to everyone that supports the show. With that, here's my interview with Clarko. Welcome to Podcast, Clarko. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. It's uh, exciting times in Apple Vision Pro land. Uh, we keep etching closer and closer to uh, this inevitable release uh, sometime early next year, according to Apple, as they reiterated uh, recently. Early. Who's to say? Early, yes. <laughs> Fingers crossed for February or even you know January. What a world. <laughs> in my internal clock, I'm like putting it on April Fool's because I'm like, that's still early. And that's like a historically relevant date in Apple history. So let's shoot for yeah. that. Yeah, why not? So, um, first, let's just dive a bit into your background as a developer and kind of Apple user in general before we dive into everything else, which there's a lot to sure. chat about today. Yeah. Uh, so, I've been a Mac user and an interface designer for 20-some years now. Okay. Before that, before that, I was a, a Windows kid. I was always interested in other operating systems, so to the extent that I could get my hands on them. Cause it's always the fun thing as a MS-DOS. kid, like... I had Windows Kit as well. It's like you don't have any money. You can't really you can like ask. But it's like <laughs> yeah, we're building yeah. our own computers. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But we like I grew up on MS DOS, and we had Acorn machines at at school, and Acorn Risk machines are what became the ARM yeah. alliance. That's like a weird historical glitch. But you know, I had buddies with an Amiga, and my auntie had an old Mac, and so like Macs were just like one of many computers I didn't have. And then uh, I did an internship in an ad agency in tenth grade, and they were all using Macs. And when I started getting into web design and web development, 
that whole crowd was using Macs and I started studying interactive multimedia and that was all Macs. And so I just got to using them. And OS 9 was fine. It was crashy and, you know, it had its uh, interesting things about it, sure. shall we say? I, I only mean, used coming, it in retrospect after it was retired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm. But this was around the time everyone was starting to upgrade to OS 10 and they were all a little mm-hmm. nervous, but they were excited, particularly that it was more stable than OS 9. But also it was like technically impressive and it looked incredible. And so I ended up buying an eMac with my education discount, which is the cheapest thing you could possibly buy. And I was just kind of shocked by how nice it was that yeah. it was like software it was like software that was made with craft and care and that whole just it just works ethos of the apple ecosystem and i wanted to do that like i wanted to make nice tools for people who like nice tools yeah so here i am um cool yeah, that was the era lucky of, to work on a uh, lot of stuff shift click on the minimize button to like the slow genie animation I, I think that's been yanked out at this point I haven't tried that in yeah. a long time. Yeah. I'd be surprised. Yeah I, yeah, I got into the era of Macs in 2006, so a little bit after mm. uh, the transition to to Mac OS X, but that was still the fun kind of era where everything was very uh, playful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So interface designing, um, what kind of projects have you taken on and what kind of uh, different scopes have you dealt with for that? I've been pretty lucky because I uh, moved out to the United States when I was in my mid-20s. I grew Mm -hmm. up in Australia, despite the accent, um, and fell into startup land. And I've been able to work on like MLB at that, and I worked at Square and on Fitbit. And then I got to work on whole operating systems for, um, for smart appliances. I worked on the June Oven and Weber Grills. And nowadays I do a mix of freelance prototyping for different clients and building my own apps for Apple platforms. So I've always been that designer who was very much more on the technical end, who was contributing to the code base. And nowadays I get to kind of sit right in the middle with like prototyping in the middle of design and development. Very cool. And um, designing interfaces, how much into art and drawing and creating the art part of the design do you get the have in your tool set it's it's funny it's like i said i was i'm on the like technical end of that design spectrum and when i first started working in silicon valley i was working exclusively with designers who are on the art end of the spectrum and so i always like envied them that they were so much better at that part of the job and this was during those days when everything was fully skeuomorphic and they're like creating these incredible textures and doing the hand stitching yeah. on leather buttons. And I was like, I can't do that. But what I can do is like really great information architecture and like pick out these weird little bugs that are confusing to people. And I can, I'm very good at documentation. So it's yeah. like, it's a totally different part of the job. Um, but you know, I have drawn my own icons my whole career, just not to the level of uh, fidelity of like your, your Robert Anderson's and your Louis yeah. Mantia's and your bad Ellis's. Yeah, the iOS six era was something else. Like I, I kind of missed that stuff. It was. Yeah. <laughs> there was a, a an iPad app that came out recently by the Halide guys that reminded me of that era. That does the um, mm-hmm. it pulls up your iPad as a HDMI monitor. Um, I'm gonna pull up the name here real briefly because I forget. It's called Orion, I think. Orion, yeah, and and yeah, it's and got, it's got like Orion a CRT operating system mode. kind of thing to it. It's kind of just a very playful, fun app. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for like something that does something relatively simple, 
Yes. Like letting yourself stand out that way is yeah. so cool. Yeah. The, uh, the, the great design thing I love and you like drag your finger to unbox the app kind of thing. It's, it's so, um, <laughs> skeuomorphic in a delightful way that I miss. Yeah. And Sebastian who heads up design over there, like he is of that same era. Like I know that he misses those days. So he's like, yeah. throws it in as a little Easter egg whenever he can. Yeah. So what's your current, uh, hardware setup these days? What Mac, you rock and iPad, all, all the good I'm stuff. All, I'm all over the place. Um, so I have at my desk, I have an, an M1 iMac, okay. which is purely because that's suited to being at a desk. Um, it's a perfect desk computer. And, like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I have an M1 MacBook Pro, the one with the touch bar. It was, I bought it because it had the touch bar. I was like, I have, I've never used it. I've got sure. to use it before it disappears. Yeah. And a few months later, they introduced, you know, the new model for, for M1 MacBook Pros yeah. without the touch bar and with the, with the notch. And, and so I missed out on that. But I feel like I'm touching history. <laughs> um, and iPad Pro is kind of my day to day workhorse. I use the iPad Pro in the Magic Keyboard so much because I use it for Swift prototyping because it's just, you don't have to hit compile. You just type some text yeah. and then you can touch it on the screen immediately. It's so satisfying for prototyping. And with pencil, it's so satisfying for drawing. So it's really just my like sit on the couch and do some design work tool and then just, you know, a phone. Excellent. Yeah, we will need to have a different conversation all about iPad usage someday for iPad Pros. <laughs> that, that sounds awesome. Um, and do you own any uh, headsets of any kind? Uh, currently, they're mostly just for gaming, but I'm curious. I do. Um, I got onto the Quest 2 in a big way during those early months of the COVID pandemic. Yeah. And the 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 price point obviously makes it really accessible. It's, you know, less than a tenth of the cost of a Vision Pro at yes, retail. Yes. Um, even though they are upping the price for the next generation, which they just announced. But yeah, five hundred dollars. Which is still yeah. very reasonable. Um I think five fifty yeah. was what the PSVR two was that I just got. Um so mm-hmm. yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of like Nintendo Switch where it's like you're not playing it for the graphics fidelity, you're playing it for for the fun. Yeah. And so you you forgive it its foibles. Yes. But you know, once I explored the catalog and played all the like the games that I felt like I wanted to play, it didn't have any everyday utility for me. Like I tried the web browsers and I tried some of those other tools and it's like the screens and the lens artifacting, it's not pleasant to use for text or normal 2D video. And na- navigating with the wands or you know the controllers, it feels like you're using a laser pointer. It's very yeah. wobbly. Yeah. And so I'd love to see a port of some of those titles for other platforms. I have been looking at the PSVR too because mm-hmm. one of my favorite games called Moss, which is a little Delightful adventure where you're a mouse. Yes, oh, so, so cool. <laughs> so I'd love to see ports of all of those titles, but I'm not yeah. counting on it. Right. You know, Apple's reputation with game devs is has always been kind of so-so. Yeah, the the future of Apple Vision Pro with gaming is just gonna be a curious one because the hand tracking is everything right now, and you have you can use a two D flat game controller, uh, which you know great for two D games, flat games. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, PSVR two, it's it's ground up VR gaming, and I think that's probably where I will continue to play my VR games because it has more horsepower, I think, uh, GPU wise. <laughs> And all that stuff mm. being a big, huge box uh, dedicated to gaming versus Apple Vision Pro on an M2 chip. Um, 
and that could change in the future, but uh, until they figure out the controllers, because I do feel like haptics in your hands and actual buttons are useful in video games. I mean, um, as we'll Absolutely. talk about, they're not going to be totally useful if you're trying to use it as a computer, but mm-hmm. for gaming, totally useful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do wonder about this whole like metal migration kit that they announced this year and some of the some of the carrots they're dangling for game devs because it even if you can't use the spatial controllers from a VR headset, it would be nice to just bring in some like classic flat screen games, pick up your PS5 controller with its incredible haptics mm-hmm. and play in the headset on like a far bigger screen than you could have in the home otherwise. Yeah. And there are some solid VR games that use traditional controllers. Uh, PSVR 1 had a ton of those because the move era wasn't great with that. So there was a lot mm-hmm. of games that did just use the regular ones. And, you know, Super Hypercube was great. Um, I mean, Tetris Effect Connected uses the PSVR 2 controllers, but it's also very enjoyable with just a regular controller. I mean, some games just work uh, very well in that way, and it's you're still immersed in that world where you can kind of zone out in, in Tetris, and that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tetris Effect kind of just works on every platform. It's great. Yes, that is just... Uh, it's, it's, you know, Apple says there's this whole meditation thing. That's my meditation in PlayStation VR. I'll just mm-hmm. load it up and just... It's it's delightful, but... Um, yeah. Um, yeah, the Quest 2, I can imagine... Yeah, web browser would just be miserable there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you even mentioned 2D video, which I find quite enjoyable in PSVR 2. It's 2K per eye. So I know Apple Vision Pro will be double that and just mm. blow this out of the water. But um, it is a much different experience holding uh, like an iPad a couple inches, you know, you know, foot from your face versus wearing PlayStation VR 2 and watching, you know, uh, foundation on that. It is... It's it's like I got a projector in my house, like a movie theater in my house. That's, that's cool. That's great. Um, so I am looking forward to Apple Vision Pro, where I can have that experience not at my desk downstairs with my PS5, but uh, my comfy chair in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as far as um, Apple Vision Pro, when you saw this announced, you've had this experience with uh, Oculus or um, Quest 2, sorry. Um, prior mm-hmm. i still call it oculus right yes <laughs> uh what was your first reaction because uh, like going into this event i was like oh i'm vrs for gaming i don't really care what apple's doing and then i saw their reveals like oh this is for everything else this is a computer <laughs> what was your initial yeah. thoughts here i was very excited because yeah i'm i'm not a serious gamer i have a, a switch and a ps5 was a very recent addition yeah. to the household but the rumor mill had been reporting on hardware all year and they'd kind of done it to death. Yeah. And so the OS reveal was like this huge surprise. It was just, you know, wonderful to see thinking about things that you you didn't know what you'd get from from the hardware rumors. Because mm-hmm. pass-through cameras on by default is really novel. Uh, the windowed interface, which is clearly designed for multitasking, is, you know, really nothing like what we expected from right. other headsets. And this whole bit about driving the interface with your eyes, yeah. with your hands in your lap or, or standing, that really struck me as way better ergonomically than hunched over a desk. And totally. for someone who, you know, I'm, I'm watching relatives get older and, you know, as they, uh, my grandfather who, who passed a couple of years ago, watching him use a phone was really something. It was like a real empathy exercise because he just didn't have the dexterity 
of a younger person. Yeah. And so I just feel like using your eyes and then just kind of like pinching your fingers will extend the useful life of technology mm-hmm. for so many people in so many ways. So yeah. I was super excited a lot by that for some weird, weird reason, but my mind, my mind was racing. Yeah. I just came out of that uh, keynote with a ton of ideas. Yeah. No, I, I'm super excited to use it. Um, we have a, a new one, a n- newborn in the house, a one year old now, and she does a lot of sleeping at night on me before we put her down to the <laughs> crib. And it's impo- nearly impossible to use an iPad as a computer and that set up with her on my chest and stuff like it as a laptop or whatever. And holding the iPads okay, but I got to make sure I'm not getting too tired and don't, you know, no dropping the iPad kind of thing. And uh, just throwing these on and being able to have this full computing environment where I can have my hands separated and kind of like use the interface uh, in different kind of situations seem like an obvious win, um, especially with the amount of screen real estate you have access to here. Yeah, it's um, I have a, a two-year-old dog, which is a totally different ballgame, yeah. but He's very demanding. And yes. He doesn't like it when I'm using an iPad in front of him. And so I'm just very curious how he'll react to like to headset daddy and just <laughs> I'll I'll still pet you but I'm not looking at you. I'm sorry. Yeah, you could actually be petting the dog as you're like pinching and stuff I'd imagine. That should Yeah. Yeah, I mean so long as you're not petting in a way that it looks like you're pinching. <laughs> just right. keep one hand free. Yeah. Uh so you are the very first guest I've had on that has uh, been to the Apple Vision Pro Labs. I was going to say the first person that's used it, but that's not true. Chance Miller did the uh, press mm-hmm. uh, experience. So he had 30 minutes. You had a good five to eight hours from what I've heard online of people going to these. It's a very full day. That's what I've heard. Yeah. So um, before we get to all... Uh, all of what you can say, which is probably not a ton or anything <laughs> from that experience. Um, spatial computing in general, you know, 20 years from now, as technology improves, is this going to, in your mind, replace for most people, desktop computing, phones? Like, wh- what's what's your aspirations for spatial computing and Vision OS in general? I mean, t- 20 years is a really long time. I figure, uh, you know, I two think, decades, that seems like a sufficient time for technology to miniaturize, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But if you had asked me 20 years ago if I thought cell phones were the future uh, and I had a Sony Ericsson T68i in my hand, I I would have been skeptical. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. This feels like a huge leap in computing interfaces and especially in, like, work computing interfaces. Yeah. And there are a lot of kinds of work. Because I guess like starting next year, there'll be enthusiasts like us Mm -hmm. who will tolerate the size and the weight and the battery life and we'll remote desktop into our Mac and we'll run our iPads in compatibility mode. And like this all feels very much like the early days of OS X where we're all just kind of like duct taping together our old computing lives onto our new computing life. Yes. And we'll tolerate the sharp edges because that's that's what enthusiasts do. Yeah. But then after us, there are industries full of people who will benefit from spatial computing in real and interesting ways that they're using 3D software all day today, but they do it on a 2D screen and they can only talk about their work in 2D terms, even though it's 3D work. Interior designers, industrial designers, architects, jewelers, mechanical engineers. And it's like weird. I've worked with a lot of these people in my career and I, you know, reviewing their work product is actually kind of difficult 
Yeah, I remember in high school or even middle school, we used like CAD software on these Windows computers mm-hmm. and we're working on these 3D like projects. I can only imagine that space just blowing up with this. Um, yeah, I think they'll be on board quicker than most, although it depends a lot on the tools. Right. Yeah, but, the, soft, the software. I wonder, and I wonder, um, like Finale never, a music notation software, Finale never made the jump to, to iPad or iOS or any of that stuff. Uh, we have new mm-hmm. new companies that have taken that uh, mantle, and I wonder in the CAD world, will the old hats uh, make that migration, or will it take a new company to be the ones to be the ones to do it? Yeah, I'm really. Even if the old companies do just output compatible files, I think that will be a big change in workflow. Yeah, because if if they can export USDZ and then you can throw that, just email someone a USDZ file and let them review it. Because so much of that job is going into meetings where you look at like side renders mm-hmm. of a 3D object and you're like, okay, yeah, that that's okay. And then you give feedback and then it goes for another round. And then once it reaches a point of maturity in the design process, they start to do physical prototypes. Yeah. And those are expensive and time-consuming. And even, even if it's just cardboard packaging, which like I've worked on a ton of cardboard packaging in my <laughs> career, and it's like, that's a lot of work to go to the art store and buy some artboard and get out your bone folder and like produce a fake box yeah. just so an executive can look at a fake box. Yes. And if you could just do that at one-to-one scale in a headset, it would be such a time-saving. Yeah, and you could, you could have like the object that you're going to be packaging with it in real life kind of like next to it and like, yeah, that could be yeah. fun. Um, and like if it's on a table in yeah. front of you. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's one niche, and we're a different niche. And But putting my startup hat on, like, spatial computers could become, like, standard-issue gear in new offices. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone's about to, like, retrofit their old office because it's, no. you know, a lot of expense. But office space and office furniture are really expensive, like, horribly expensive because the whole Silicon Valley starter kit of like motorized desk and dual monitors yes. and split keyboards and all this stuff and you know ergonomic chairs. It's like, what if you just didn't buy those? What if you had like a comfy chair and a cubby where you can put your stuff and you know store your headset when you're not using it? Yeah, it's just the this is a horrible thing to think of, but like they've been pushing for less space per employee for so long in mm-hmm. every industry. Yeah. And if everybody didn't if everybody didn't need a desk, they would. Like jump up and down about the square footage that they're no longer paying for. And if working from home and working from the road were just as productive if, as working from the office, also a huge gain. So I don't know, this adoption curve in industry seems like it could be really weird. And that's not Apple's usual thing. Yeah. So this is a really expensive consumer product, but like the the business spending analysis is I don't I don't know how to make that. Yeah, and designing office space around headsets is a weird one cuz like you benefit from wide open spaces in spatial computing, not these little tiny cubbies that've been cramming people in. And another thing to think of, consider is this huge if you have a huge wide open space like a, a big table everyone's kind of working around you have all the people using the same space virtually in a way that's just kind of interesting. Like everyone's looking <laughs> at different things in the same virtual space. Uh, uh, yeah. And then you'll be able to enter total VR mode if you do want to isolate 
uh, from the other people around you, maybe throw an AirPods Pro with noise cancellation to try to really, like, I'm not paying attention to anything else but this right now. And so you yeah, kind of get benefits of being in your own office, sort of, without needing yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, in the in the open floor plan offices that became trendy yeah. you know, 10, 15 years Everyone ago. Everyone hated it. Uh, yeah. Yep. And I went straight to noise canceling headphones unless I was in a mode of work where I wanted to overhear stuff. Right. Which is like what is interesting about office work that it's, you know, that it is inherently social if you're not trying to get work done. Yes. <laughs> you can wait, you can waste eight hours very easily with the social stuff if you want. <laughs> it's like I had a very mm-hmm. productive day of working with my coworkers, but oh, my projects didn't really move forward today, did they? No. It's networking. It's meetings. Yes. It's, you know. As um, I'll, I'll reference uh, John Gruber's The Talk Show. Um, he called it Pleading the Fifth with uh, Michael Simmons uh, of FlexiVix. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he also went to the lab um, as well. Um, so basically, I believe all the only things you'll be able to really chat about are things that are publicly known. <laughs> like, yeah. Like from the press demo. So, you know. Uh, so whatever you feel comfortable uh, sharing, uh, I will have questions, and some of them we'll just have to skip right by, depending on on how we we feel it goes here. Yeah, uh, honestly, being that I'm like putting on my designer hat, it's there isn't that much about Vision OS that isn't public because that keynote was a big software demo. They're yeah. showing it off. They're trying to get people hyped for it, so they put it all out there, and then. They have the interface guidelines that they publish, and they have all these videos from DubDub that are part of those interface guidelines. And they really go in depth about the design of the user interface. And so there's a ton of things we don't know about the hardware. There's tons of things we don't know about the OS from a technical level. But like the UI is out there. We there we have plenty to talk about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but WWDR is very clear that we shouldn't share details about the labs because it's not a press demo. No, and I'm not a I'm not a journalist. Right. So <laughs> I'll I will couch things in terms of everything I've said publicly. But full disclosure, I'm friends with a lot of Apple people. I married one of them, but I'm here as a UI designer. Like I've poured over these videos, and <laughs> so not here as a spy. I'm just here to like yes. share enthusiasm because yeah. I'm excited about working on it. Yeah. So, I guess I should I should start by asking: Is there anything at all you can share about the physical experience of using this thing? Um, comfortability, um, um, expectations were they met? Like I don't, anything at all in the physical realm? I'm that's probably this is probably the the one realm that's probably the hardest to walk around. Yeah, yeah. I think. Um... Because like they told the press even in that those first few demos that like that they were still working on the light seal or something yeah. or they didn't have all the light seals yeah available. they're still there was, making more of those yeah different so models. there's a ton of that stuff where I'm just like well I got what I got and it was you know I don't know if it was my size I have absolutely no insight <laughs> into whether it was correct and I don't I don't have corrective lenses so I didn't you know there's I don't know how representative the experience is to what will ship because in, in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, the hardware seems done, but if they say all these accessories aren't finished, then is that what's, is that what the shipping um, deadline is all about? Are they like, because hardware has pretty long lead times. You can't just turn that all around super quick. Yeah. It's, is, 
is the OS the thing that needs polishing or the hardware or a little bit of both? Uh, probably a little bit of both, yeah. I'll say it right off the bat. Like My expectations were really high because of what they showed in the keynote. And my expectations have stayed high. And what the press has been saying as well. Yeah, all the press, not a single press was like, this wasn't good. Like Everyone was like, yeah. oh, this blew me away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's technologically, like just on paper, is so impressive. And then everything we've seen, the functionality and the visuals, also super impressive. And so I, I am impressed. Oh, there are parts of it that just really fascinate me. Um, and this is, you know, I can't not be a full-time designer. It's just, you know, what yeah. I've been doing for my whole life. But the relationship between your eyes and your gaze and the user interface is yeah. really fascinating. Everybody knows that your eyes are the pointing device right. in this thing. But that's actually a really big deal. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Conceptually, you can say that, and until you actually use it, it's like, oh, that's what that is. Yeah. Well, it just it upends so much conventional wisdom about user interface design because every computer I've ever used, the cursor is controlled by your hand. And I was right. talking about the Quest 2 where it like feels like a laser pointer because you're holding this cursor and then you're pointing it at something that's like 30 feet away. Right. And you know how when you hold a laser pointer, it's very wiggly when you point it against mm-hmm. the opposite wall? Like that feels weird in Quest. And, you know, otherwise you're using keyboards and mice and, and styluses or just your bare finger. You like, you look at the screen and you see something you want to click and then you move the pointer manually with your hand to click the thing. Yeah. And, and with Vision OS, because your eyes are the pointer and the screen is everywhere. Now you just look and that's it. Like you, there are no gross movements. You're just, you can just look at something and click. And that is, that is revolutionary. And it's like, I know that it's also a cool gimmick, but it's, it changes everything about how you would design user interfaces because something that they've really nailed into us for some reason at school was um, Fitz law, which is an equation that quantifies essentially how hard it is to point at stuff. It's <laughs> you take like relative measurements of size and distance and time. And it's just like, oh, okay, things that are big and close are easier to hit than things that are far and small. And that applies whether you're throwing a, a, a baseball at a barn or whether you're shooting at a target or whether you're using a mouse. And yeah. that, that just seems like it's completely abstracted away in this model of eye tracking. Cause if you can see it, you have hit it. It's the effort the effort just seems built in to our eyes. We don't think about looking at something as a challenge. Right. Discoverability. iOS has had the challenge for a while of, is this tappable? Is, does a long press do anything? Does this get even harder as a designer to design an app to know, to tell a user, this thing you're looking at is tappable or Taps the word we use when we tap our fingers together. Is that the right nomenclature? Yeah, that's the yeah. that's the official terminology. Okay. I so keep let, thinking yeah. of click when I turn in terms of mice and stuff, but yeah. yes, tapping tapping is the official terminology. Yeah, but like designing an app around, like does does the OS convey what is tapable as you're looking, kind of like Apple TV does with its little shimmer effect on everything you look at, or like how yeah. is that? I mean, they talk about that. They talk about that at length in the keynote. It's and it's a conceptual leap. There's, yeah. there is, there is this argument on software teams about buttons and links looking clickable enough. Um, yeah. 
Because otherwise, how will the customer know that they should click it? Right. Because sometimes there's text and icon on screen for no reason at all. And you shouldn't click those, but you should click the buy button. Yeah. And because Vision OS has that highlight effect where it like puts a bit of shimmer on it and like a shape around it. If it's, if it's just text, it'll put a shape around it or an icon. Uh, so when your eyes land on something, it gets that highlight effect. And like I was saying, your eyes are the pointer. You're never not looking at something. So every time you look at something, you know instantly, can you tap on it or not? There's absolutely no question. Yeah. And that really feels like it changes the job of the designer because mm. you're not arguing about like whether this should be more red or like bolder or like whether it should have a different shaped border around it because you're trying to attract attention. It's just, or the, oh wow, the age old like web design argument about should a link be underlined or not. And it's like the affordance the affordance of tappability is just built in here. You can't not have it. And it makes button design, not that button design is a specialty, but it makes the idea of button design just kind of moot. And I get, I get the impression that a lot of iPad ports or you know iPad apps running in compatibility mode will be kind of over the top looking because all the uh, Vision OS apps that we've seen, they look very kind of austere they're yeah. very sparing with like with color and and sh- and button shapes and stuff, and all these iPad apps with huge blue rectangles in them yeah. will just like look kind of like a clown show unless everybody goes the far opposite direction and all apps start looking like like Vegas slot machines. Like it right. could go either way. Yeah, does the size of the button? Do you think that'll like larger buttons kind of help the user like? point their eyes that direction to oh this is one of the primary buttons to be looking at while i'm using this app i'd imagine size would be a a factor in designing these apps now i mean there's definitely a matter of like trying to catch your attention in the periphery Mm -hmm. that is always the case and it's funny there's also like the concern for people designing vision os apps is screenshots because screenshots do not respond to your gaze nor do demo videos so it's like your app could look very boring in a screenshot, yeah. but be totally fine in real life because the buttons always light up when you look at them. Yeah. So there's a real balancing act there. Um, there is a whole thing about button sizing in Vision OS that that I can <laughs> that I can talk about. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, that they talk about it in the design guidelines that you uh, need buttons to be like a hit target of sixty points. Okay. And relative to and points is a totally arbitrary yeah, metric 60 like, points a, sounds tiny to me because i'm used to like you know you know podcast uh artwork is whatever a thousand but you know it's mm, like... yeah well in the in the first days of ios a point was a pixel there was just a one we used to call we would just call them pixels we yeah. didn't call them points then when things went to retina we had to add this level of abstraction. So it's like, it's no longer a pixel. It's a point. It represents a two by two pixel square yeah. in, in old fashioned terms. Right. Now we're talking about a UI that is not even measured in pixels. It's <laughs> measured in degrees of, of uh, field of view. <laughs> and so I don't know what the conversion is specifically of yeah. degrees to points. But when they say it needs to be 60 points, they're doing that because they need that for hit targeting. Right. Um, and the, the windows will dynamically change depending if you put it the default focal distance versus trying to bring it closer or further away. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because on an iPhone, the, the recommended hit target size is 44 points. That's like the smallest okay. button they think you can get away with. But that is also 
that's not an aesthetic decision. That is a reality of firmware engineering because you're only working with touch panels. They have this capacitive grid and they do a bunch of heuristics in code to just take this sloppy analog input from a touch panel and turn it into an event for the UI software. And that's, you know, the joys of firmware engineering. That's just you're, you're dealing with garbage input and you're trying to make useful output in it. But in Vision OS, they're doing that with uh, an infrared camera and ML models that track your eye movements. And so it's just a fundamentally different technology with, with totally different constraints. And so they yeah. just obviously did a ton of testing and they're just like, all right, within our margin of error, 60 points is what we can say is reliable for a button to look at. And it really makes me wonder about future generations of IR cameras. I don't know if that's a, a field that gets a lot of uh, advancement <laughs> in it year over year, yeah. but like f- future generations of camera, future ML models, obviously that is a field that gets a ton of investment mm-hmm. in it year over year. Could you radically improve eye tracking? And when you do, what do you do with that improvement? Like, do you just make all the windows a little smaller? Do you like change the distance multiplier on that dynamic scale you were talking about, where you drag your window closer and further that it gets bigger and smaller? Like, or do you do something entirely new that I can't even imagine? Right. Yeah, it's curious. Um, The eye tracking stuff—it's in PSVR two, and it's it's great for games. So I really hope uh, one day Apple adds an API for game developers to enable that as a control mechanism, (laughs) which uh, currently is not allowed uh, for privacy reasons. Yeah, yeah. One thing I'm curious about—I'm not sure if this has been publicly shared—is so right now on iPad OS, when I have my cursor up and I'm hovering over text, my cursor transforms into a thing that lets me select the text and edit it. You know, highlight it. Vision OS is you're looking at text that is text you've like typed into the interface. Is there any notion of this way of highlighting this text or is that reserved for perhaps if you bring in an external mouse or trackpad that at that point it would do this kind of behavior? That is a good question and something I can't answer out of ignorance, not because of, uh, but they did talk in one of the videos, maybe it was uh, State of the Union, about this, like, taking your cursor and doing, like, a, a bit of, like, a pinch gesture on it mm-hmm. to make it a precision cursor for okay. drawing. Yeah. Um, and they were demoing that in Freeform. Their, okay. You know, gen, their kind of whiteboard everything yeah. app. And so there was an element to that. But it's also interesting that in iPadOS, I think that text selection thing in general is really limited to editable text right. with the exception with the exception of web pages. Yeah, and so I far don't understand the distinction there. <laughs> because uh like and I, I work in screenshots, I think it's it as well. Mm, um, I'm mm. pretty sure if I like open photos and there's text on a, a screenshot it'll do it. But yeah. Because yeah. yeah, I I work almost exclusively in SwiftUI and SwiftUI has this modifier that you can put on text to say that it's selectable. And when you do that on Mac, you get exactly what you're expecting, mm-hmm. where you can just select like character by character. Yeah. You do that on iOS, it's just a long press with the copy button. Yes. Like you don't get you don't get that uh, cursor text selection behavior when you're doing a Swift UI. And all of I mean, to my knowledge, the primary uh, user interface development technology for Vision OS is Swift UI. You know, there's definitely compatibility shims in there for bringing over iPad stuff, but I'm not 100% sure that you're allowed to just write UIKit or AppKit software directly to yeah. Vision OS. Another thing I'm curious if they've shared yet is so audio on iPad OS can be frustrating at times where it's just a single <laughs> app 
that has full audio control. And if you start something else, it takes over. Have they shared in the spatial computing environment if multiple apps could have audio and maybe even if maybe even those apps would be positionally sending the audio to you so you'd be able to hear where the app's coming from almost? They there are several dub dub sessions about spatial audio. Yeah. And I have not watched them because it's not something that is part of my like day-to-day work. Right. Um so there's definitely spatial positioning of audio. And I know uh Steve Trotton Smith has talked a bit about this in relation to broadcast his radio app, his app yeah. broadcast yeah. and and i couldn't answer it for you okay. but i think like somewhere between the dub dub sessions and and steve's toots yes. uh there's there's an answer there yeah yeah i am yeah i'm super curious like it feels a lot of people have said ipad os is like the you know the father of vision os do the os's feel related or like it seems like vision os has many more windows you're working with this whole new interface like how close do these feel to you you can you can see just from from the visual design of the apps like the messages app and and the freeform app and all the apps that they have in vision os look very very much like their ipad counterparts yeah and i you know that's not by accident uh and the multitasking that like also fascinates me about Vision OS feels like iPad stage manager, but with so much more screen real estate that you're not like constantly being being kicked. Yeah, you have unlimited by, by windows. windows by all regards. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, uh, you know, Mac OS multitasking, you have one foreground window. And you know, you've got your dock and and you've got your menu bar and you've got your app switcher. All these things are built around this idea that there has to be one foreground app because it controls the menu bar and there has to be one foreground window and it controls that accepts the keyboard, keyboard shortcuts keyboard as well input. yeah yeah and ipad os has that to an extent it has keyboard focus if you have a hardware keyboard yeah uh when it works because sometimes uh yeah. the keyboard focus <laughs> like why is this keyboard <laughs> working in the other app yeah yeah not not my favorite aspect of iPad OS, but yeah, I understand now. that I, yeah. I'm also in a I'm also in a minority of people who use it with a hardware keyboard sure. all day every day. Um but if you're just I I have a um a workspace on my iPad which is my social media workspace mm-hmm. and I have um Instagram and Mastodon and threads all side by side because yeah. two of those are just iPad uh, two of those are just iPhone apps. Right. They have to be very narrow windows. Yeah. So I just throw a third one in there and make it a narrow window. I can have them all perfectly side by side. Yeah. And you can just interact with them all. You're not bringing one forward. You're just touching what you need to touch. Mm-hmm. And the multitasking is just invisible. Yeah, because in Vision OS, so in Mac, it's been a while since I've actually used it. <laughs> Uh, things go gray for the inactive app, right? Mm-hmm. So in Vision OS, yeah. as you're looking at things, that becomes the primary app just by your look. I'd imagine if you look at an app, that's where the keyboard focus would go if you're using the external keyboard. And as you change where you're looking, that's, yeah, if you start a click and drag with like an external keyboard or mouse, and then you look at a different window, you'll be able to pull it into that app like, feels like it should be pretty seamless with that stuff yeah and it and it feels like it should just be ipad os like you know to yeah. your point they ipad os seems like the you know the the 
it's weird to call it the dad because it's you know this smaller, <laughs> You're like, right? But less you know the, the progenitor, um, because I mean, Alexander McGinnis like talked about this at length in the keynote, and they had all of that, all that B-roll of people doing multitasking, and there's that that guy at the desk with like three or four apps all around him, and none of them is dim. Yeah, none of them is like that's a good point. None of yeah. them is noticeably background, right? And you know, with our experience with iPadOS, it's like, all right, I just, I can just scroll this window. I can just scroll this window. I can tap this button. And it's like, nothing ever jumps to the foreground. And in one part of the keynote, the guy drags a, uh, a 3D model out of a messages thread and drops it on the table in front of him. Yeah. And that's a new window. That's just, that's a volumetric window instead right. of just being a, a 2D window. And nothing else happened. None of the other windows reacted to like suddenly not being the focus <laughs> right. of, of his input. So, it really does seem like it's based on iOS, iPadOS for yeah. that for that reason. Right. Apple recently updated iWork with USD support. Is this uh, just Vision OS prepping <laughs> in your mind? I'm not sure. I mean, we've had USDC support in Safari for a really long time. Yeah. And and you know they've had this AR Quick Look built into iOS for a really long time. So mm-hmm. it just seems like something that the OS is capable of. It's reliably capable of it um, going back several versions. So if you need to add support to it for your app and your app supports older OSs, then go for it. Yeah. But I've, I've certainly been intrigued by the idea of just like including USDZ as a media type in normal apps. Like right. could Instagram let you upload USDZ files and you just like scrolling through a feed of 3D objects? That'd be great. But right. I, don't, like, I don't know what effort is required to do that. Yeah. And if you're a multi-platform app, obviously there are limits on what you can do. Like, if you are Instagram, you, you have to build the USDZ viewer for the web and for Android and for every platform that you ship on. Yeah, USDZ will be, with VisionOS, will be, I think just the apps that create those on VisionOS should be just a lot of fun to just to play around with and build stuff. That <laughs> I, I wonder if the 3D printing machine market will just kind of get bigger along with vision OS as people create stuff they want to print. Um, yeah, there are certainly like VR apps, like, um, is it called light sculpt? Like there are sculpting apps in, in VR that feel like they would do even better if you had, you know, if you're using uh, hand tracking instead of controllers. Start with like a block of ice or whatever it is. And you have hand tracking and, that could be a lot of fun, I think. Yeah. And then I'm not I'm speaking out of turn for USDZ, but I, I get the impression that you can either create objects that you look at from the outside or you can create like shells that you stand inside and look out at. Mm. I don't know if that's how they make their yeah. environments on um, on Vision OS, but like it would be great to just be sent a little file and you open it and then you're standing in a place. You're standing in a new environment. Right. Like that would honestly like being able to visit anywhere or places that never existed or places that no longer exist, or just, you know, meditate by a stream that would be a three hour drive from where you are. Yeah. Uh, would be wonderful. Yeah. It would be super cool. So iPhone 15 pro capture spatial video. It'd be cool if there was a mode to like, I hike to the top of one of my favorite mountains, the hike and I capture whatever kind of maybe an app guides me through a capture process an apple app to capture a scene and i can just capture this this 
whatever scene, um, like almost like panoramic, but like a video version. Yeah, like a spherical pano. Yeah, and I can then use that in Apple Vision Pro for future workspaces. Like that should be a mode in the future to be able to do that kind of capture. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever used uh, WebXR formats on on any of your other no. headsets. It's it's stereoscopic video, but it's very jarring because you don't control where you look. Oh. It's yeah. So everything is everything is 3D, but the director is very much in charge. So I tried doing some uh, roller coasters and some some rides at Disneyland that I've never been on because I haven't been back there in years. Yeah. and it's it's really difficult because it's you're not, not in charge your of, head. of anything. Yeah, uh, the gestures. Uh, Apple Watch. It took them many years to figure out well, what the side button should do and all this kind of stuff. From what you've seen with the gestures that they've, you know, shown off to the public, does it seem like a natural way to interact with everything? Are they missing key things that, you know, future they should add some future gestures to the to what the the slot is and they seem to me like they've been very conservative, which is fair for like, mm-hmm. you know, an Apple one product, you're you are conservative because you can't wait to see what we do with it. You know, is the phrase. Yeah, iPhone OS or iPhone firmware one or whatever did not have copy and paste. It took a while to figure out yeah. a lot of stuff. It had the magnifier glass, I think, to change your text position back then. But yes, yeah. um, and so what are they? What are their published gestures? They have pinch, obviously, and they have. Oh, sorry, pinch tap. Yeah, tap. <laughs> they have and tap, and, th- and then they have pinch. Yeah. Pinch and unpinch the the zooming in and out gestures yeah. that they show in when you're using uh, photos and a few others, but it seems like a really limited set. And I have to assume more will come, but I also assume that since they've given developers such um, deep access to the hand tracking APIs, yeah. that they're they're waiting to see if developers dive in there and invent stuff because they've done that with like with the advanced gestures on iPad OS. They kind of, they didn't give us any really interesting gestures like undo and redo on iPadOS for years, so many years, besides shake, which you you never want to do with an iPad. Yeah, it still works on iPad Pro, 13-inch iPad Pro, we could shake to undo, and I I occasionally (laughs) look very silly doing that. Um, Scroll or... I feel um, like they waited. Yeah. I feel like they waited for... A certain class of app, especially drawing apps, where you're, you know, you have your hands are busy and you uh, are not shaking the thing, yes, and you are doing a lot of undoing and undoing. I think they let the market invent a lot there, and then then they're just like, okay, let's standardize this now. Yeah, and they and took let people just ride to, the standard. Um, was it uh, scroll to refresh? I'm not sure with the mm-hmm. pull to refresh. Yeah, um, yeah, and I get the feeling they're going to do a lot of that here. Assuming that there are a good body of developers inventing interesting gestures, because yeah, like that, the list of gestures they have, there is a capacity for developers to include their own custom gestures that are not system wide. Is that a, a feature of the? Yes, yeah, the hand tracking, the hand tracking APIs are extensive. That's exciting to hear. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I don't know how hard it is to work with, right? Um, <laughs> but. Certainly, if you're the, if you're someone like the you know VR sculpture apps, mm-hmm. and your whole user interface is using your hands, 
you're going to dive deep into that to see yeah. what you can do. Create a little blowtorch with your, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Grab the. But yeah, like of of the published gestures they have, you know, there's there's no undo gesture, which I obviously desperately want on every single platform that I right. use because I always need to undo the stupid thing I just did. Yeah. And those those I assume will come, but they're just being being conservative out of the gate. And I wonder how deep the hand gesture API is. Like, could a developer, I don't know, you you uh, tell you sell this little like a hardware thing that's like a fake sword or something that's like for games. Some, yeah. I think we need that for for Beat Saber and for you know right? Vader Immortal lightsaber dojo. Yeah, not, just something to hold. It doesn't even have to empty be, hands. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be Bluetooth. Just something just to hold. Uh, like, yeah, I wonder if it could work with that yeah. kind of stuff. Little hilt. Yeah. Any other just general thoughts about VisionOS um, before we move on to your app in particular? Yeah. I mean, we started talking about expectations in the beginning. Yeah. And it's funny because Apple is all about managing expectations. They have that reputation for shipping something small and focused and polished and then iterating. But they sell that thing. So yes. They show you what they made, and then they sell it to you. And so you know what they showed at DubDub isn't just a fantasy. It's not concept art. It's, you know, it's a real product. Right. But they only showed it seemingly in office and home entertainment workloads. Yeah. There, was, there wasn't a lot outside of that. I and mean, I'm, I'm going to call sitting in a plane seat a home entertainment right. situation. Yeah. I desperately hope this device operates on like a porch outside in the backyard. Like, me too, me too. <laughs> but we've not seen that. But they're really so, yeah right. So they're setting they're setting that expectation, and you have to assume because of how good they are at this job that they're doing it on purpose. Like it's a Mac for your face. Yes. And it's silly. After the keynote, the very first thing I imagined it for was rally driving, and I'm not. A race car driver. I don't like. I don't know why that jumped to mind, but like rallying for anyone who doesn't know is a motorsport where you're racing on urban or off-road courses, and it's a driver and a navigator because the courses are very complicated. You yeah. need a navigator uh, who's sitting there looking at the yeah. map and then making hand gestures like you know, turn right in in two hundred feet. Yeah, something to that effect, which is the opposite of office work. But I thought coming right out of the keynote, like, hey, take the navigator out of the car. Give the driver a cool AR heads-up display and save 200 pounds of weight and like go faster and win a race. Right. Maybe that's against the rules. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, like I said, I'm not a race driver. <laughs> um, but Apple never showed anyone in a car. It's probably no, it's not disabled, safe. Disabled, I think, in the API that we see. Yeah, you can't be moving. So, yeah. So I just jumped to that assumption that it'd be possible, and then Mike Rockwell said at the talk show in San Jose how hard it was to make it work on a plane. Because of the uh, the IMU, the inertial measurement unit that like tracks the mm. gyro and accelerometers and stuff to determine how much you are moving in space. Yeah. And if you're on a plane, you're always moving in space. Yes. So they're doing some kind of inertial compensation there that's obviously very complicated. And there's like a plane that I think you are supposed to put it in. Yeah. Yeah. So I have no idea if plane mode works on a on a bus. Right. But, you know, yeah. there's there's a lot of Apple employees who are riding a bus to work every day. It's true. And they probably want this product. <laughs> um, and, and like you said, like, can you do it in your back deck? Is direct sunlight even okay? Because like I played lightsaber dojo in 
the backyard with uh, Quest 2, and the tracking was all off. It was, yeah. I had to stop very quickly. So expectations are high. Like, it's obviously a very, very polished, like, very mature-looking product, but expectations are also very narrow. We're right. talking, like, it really seems like you want to be standing or sitting indoors. Right. And we don't know where the edges are of this product yet, which is very frustrating as people yeah. who are trying to invent new things for it because they're obviously really proud of it as a work tool and yeah. as an entertainment platform. But we all see potential for it in mobile computing or like mobile spatial computing. Yes. But we don't even know if it is mobile. We know that it has two hours of battery life and that's all we know. We don't even know if it has cellular or GPS. Yeah, I'd imagine cellular or not, they probably would have shared that uh, tidbit. Or maybe, who knows, maybe that comes in the January reveal and they reveal all the specs and they've just shared a little bit for now. Who knows? Yeah, I guess we don't even have cellular max yet, so we that do not. seems like maybe, maybe at least. I've, I've, it might be sad to say, but I kind of expect this to get cellular before the backs do. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, like I'm I'm really excited and really impressed by this whole product, but I'm also trying to ground myself in reality, which is like when when we talk about my app it's going to be silly because that is the most grounded in reality. Yes. Uh it, it is not like a, a groundbreaking outlandish app. It's a normal office productivity app. Yeah. But I'm trying to rein in my enthusiasm to stay within the bounds of what they actually showed because what they showed is cool and I'm excited about it, but and just the the mind just races at possibilities that we don't even know if they're possible. Yeah, definitely. Um, did you end up getting a 15 Pro to start gathering spatial videos of your your two year old pup? Not yet. Part of me is uh, concerned about coordinating the replacement of cables in our lives. Ah, <laughs> um, yes. The car in particular, we use wired CarPlay, yep. and that's lightning. Yeah. So it feels like we'll need to coordinate that change yes. um, between me and my wife. I'm on I'm on the replacement plan thing, and yeah. part of me is also j- juggling this load of old devices that I have to keep around mm-hmm. for software testing. So I'm like mentally wondering what version of the OS each device gets upgraded to as its last yes. as its last hurrah. Yes, and so. My newest testing device is a 13 mini, which yeah. I love and miss. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so I hope they that'll make a probably... 16 mini next year. <laughs> Let's bring it back. Yeah. So, like, that'll probably take us to iOS 20. That's yeah. not a number I expect to say out loud. Right. Yeah. But, like, so the 13 mini will probably get iOS 20. And now I have a 14 Pro. So, should I just skip a year and, like, then manage these? all these operating system releases. It's such weird calculus to do as a developer. Like what hardware do you keep around and when does it have to be retired? Cause it's not getting updates anymore. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting that being a software developer, like long, it must be so much more painful that phones have gone up and up in price versus like $600 original iPhone. That's extravagant, (laughs) you know? Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, although then again, like going from having to build my own PCs <laughs> as a kid to yeah. like being able to just buy a super great laptop, and it's like comparatively speaking, the laptops are cheaper. Yeah, is spatial video capture something you're excited for with the headset when you get it? Is that some? Yeah. Yes, I mean, like for the dog reasons. Yes. I <laughs> Such a. I know, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm excited to you know I, capture I, my cat, my my daughter, and uh, her dog. Yeah. Yeah, I am so intrigued by it. And uh, 
I think the the iPhone 15 and future generations of of iPhone are certainly the right device to be capturing that on every day. Yes. Um, it will be nice, I think, for some captures to be on the headset so your, your hands are free and you can capture things with in situations that maybe an iPhone would actually be harder to do. But yeah, most of the time, yeah, you're right. The iPhone is the tool for this job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm also very curious about the role of the shooter's perspective in this video capture. Yeah. Because last night I shot video of my dog sleeping for 30 seconds because his little paws were were wiggling. Right. And I shot that from essentially couch level, like my own thighs. Yes. And like, that's a weird perspective if I'm looking at it in 3D because that's, that would mean that I'm like squatting. Yes. And is a video shot by a very tall person in a headset very different than a video shot by a very short person? It's like, right. Yeah. I don't know what to make of that yet. No. Yeah. And that'll be, yeah, that'll be interesting to play around with once the headset comes out to try to expedite. What's the different experiences like? How you'll need to learn like how is it? What are the best practices for shooting spatial video? Um, you probably don't want to be doing anything too jarring, just like slow movements and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And I'll be intrigued about future developments in that format as well because we've we've come pretty far just on JPEGs and then all this like the Heath sidecar data with live photos and and depth maps and all that stuff. So there's I don't know what this format is that they're shooting in, but there's they've got freedom to uh, to explore and add stuff before it gets like codified by right. the IEEE. Yeah, and I'm super curious next uh, year when this rolls out if people will figure out ways to convert existing 3D footage into Apple's format. I've got I have no idea where the originals are. Um, I've got some old GoPro footage I shot in 3D back like a decade ago. <laughs> during the 3d craze um actually you know what i'd be super super interested in seeing is uh digitizing old viewmasters and those old um things that they had in the nickelodeons they're like the 3d things they have some in disneyland there's very old machines you put a a dime in and look through and it was shot in 3d but like a hundred years ago yeah yeah that'd be yeah, that'd be it fun. Be, being yeah. able to travel back in time in 3D like that would be really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine the people that have that stuff, if they can figure that out, that'd be a cool app to just sell, you know, this 3D content. Yeah. 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 There's there's definitely a market for just 3D content <laughs> yes. as, as a service. Yes, for sure. 3D, uh, 3D modelers, 3D artists will yeah. be very busy for yes. the foreseeable future. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Agenda. In this quick break, I want to share a bit about Agenda's big multi-window update that happened earlier this year for both the Mac and the iPad, and is now very useful with Stage Manager on the iPad finally being in a happy place. These changes will also shine on the Apple Vision Pro, with that OS being so perfect for working with multiple windows. So before we get to all these awesome new multi-window additions to the app, I want to make sure everyone knows about the new ability to navigate Agenda very quickly with just the keyboard. By hitting Option Space, you are now brought into a quick search box that by just searching for the name of the note or project, you can either hit Enter to open the first result or arrow down to the result you want to open hit Enter to open that note or project. It's super fast and is just so nice not needing to use the trackpad or touch the screen to jump to the note or project you want to work in next. So... The huge thing added earlier this year was true multi-window support for both the iPad and the Mac. 
Every note now has a little window icon. You'll find this next to the gear icon at the bottom of every note. On iPad, this button behaves a bit differently if you are in split-screen mode versus Stage Manager. In split-screen, it'll bring that window front and center and dim the background. The same behavior you'll find in Apple's Mail app. This is an awesome way to work if you do just want to focus on your single note and is the mode I work in when I'm writing up scripts in what I call iPad mode, of allowing more focus than other environments provide. Just like in Apple Mail, you can manipulate this window with the triple dots on the top of the window, allowing you to transform that window into a slide-over window or use it in split-screen. At any time, you can tap the icon on the bottom of the note to return the note to the main agenda window where you started. If you are working in Stage Manager, hitting that window button will pop that note out as a brand new window that you can move and resize whoever you want. The sidebars of our agenda are hidden, but if you want to use that window for a different note, you can slide out the sidebars to move away from that note. Just like working in split-screen mode, you can tap the window button on the bottom of that stage manager window to bring that note back into your original window you were working in. It's a very well-thought-out system for using multiple windows and agenda on the iPad and the Mac, and something for sure worth trying out if you haven't already, and I can't wait to try this experience on Vision OS, as that OS just screams multi-window and having a bunch of different windows scattered throughout your environment. So those are just a few new things worth checking out if you haven't already an agenda. If you haven't tried Agenda, I'd really encourage you to give it a try. Agenda is free to download and use with no obtrusive ads. To unlock the full power of Agenda, give Agenda Premium a shot. One thing that Agenda continues to do that I love is their approach to the premium features and unlocks. If you ever decide to cancel your Agenda Premium subscription, you get to keep all of the premium features available when you are a subscriber, or you can now opt for their new Lifetime Unlock, which will unlock the full power of Agenda on all your Apple devices, including Apple Vision Pro, when that launches next year, with a single one-time purchase. To learn more, go to Agenda.com. Download Agenda 18 today for free from the App Store. My thanks again to Agenda for sponsoring this episode of Vision Pros. Learn more at www.agenda.com. So um, give me an elevator pitch for your app that is uh, soon to be released at some point for Apple platforms, including vision OS when that comes out early next year. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, my app is called Symbolsaurus, and it is a thesaurus of iconography. Um, for anyone who's never used uh, the SF symbols icon set, it's a library that Apple publishes of thousands and thousands of icons and designers and developers can use them instead of drawing new icons from scratch, which is yeah. labor intensive. And, you know, if you've drawn one plus icon, you've drawn a million. Like you don't know, no, no yeah. one should draw that icon ever again. Yeah. These are things like, you know, these are things like the pause icon in like video players, every imaginable. Thing, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's seven or 8,000 of them right now. They just keep adding like a thousand every year and they've been going for a while. And the icons are all named something like xmark.circle.fill. They're named like with unique identifiers because you need to be able to call them from code. Yeah. And they don't have any specific meaning. They just describe the shape. And that's, I think that's a philosophical stance on their part because uh, xmark.circle.fill like is very often a close button. You've seen it used as a close button a yeah. hundred times, but it's also a cancel button or a clear button. Like it's 
the semantics are flexible. And so they're not prescribing a name for what this symbol should be used as. And they're very cagey about that. They kind of, they have some metadata in there. So if you search in, in Apple's official app, if you search the word share, you will get the uh, arrow up square mm-hmm. icon, which would otherwise, it would be impossible to find the share icon that we all right, the use in every app. Yeah, because yeah. it's called like arrow.up.square or something. And so I manually collect all these real-world labels, all this semantics, and make it all searchable and all cross-referenced. So like a dictionary, yeah. like a thesaurus, which is where the name comes from, obviously, I've compiled all this stuff into a reference tool. And so if you need a toolbar icon for an edit button, you can just find one. And it's real-world examples, and I'll tell you where they all came from so you can judge for yourself and pick one with some confidence. Yeah, like in the um, the close example... You have examples of it used for dismiss, cancel, close, and clear, and all the you know examples you may find in this app, and um, and you also you do tap into some third party apps as examples. I, I notice Overcast as an example. Um, mm-hmm. As far as third party apps, is this is the data there from just personal knowledge, or is there some is there some way to easily find where this stuff is being used? Not easily. Um, <laughs> definitely, definitely looked. Uh, no, this is a manual process. So okay. it's, I, I, every every week or so, just sit down for a few hours and just pour through some apps. Try and find every screen. Try and find every context menu on iPad. Huh. Try and find every single use of an icon. And with a combination of um, accessibility tools, like on the Mac, VoiceOver has a mode where you just hover on stuff mm-hmm. and it shows you the accessibility description, so you don't have to navigate uh, via voiceover like you would on on iPad. Yeah. Um, so that the hover to reveal what the what the label for an icon is is very helpful to me. And obviously, all context menus on iPad OS they have a label and an icon, so that's very easy mapping. Right. But I'm just doing it manually because this is literally what I've always done in my career. It's like, ah, oh, I need to label this heart icon like what do we call it do we call it favorite do we call it like do we call it love like this is a normal part of the job and i think just kind of collecting all this stuff together painstaking work as it may be like just saves everyone a ton of time yeah so the inspiration for this app sounds like from personal need you said this is something (laughs) that you as a designer need these symbols and up until now, it's been pretty archaic as far as trying to find the right ones and implement. Yeah, yeah. And in my career, I've been very fortunate to work on a lot of zero to one, um, like product design or product redesign from scratch, where you're just like, all right, let's reset assumptions. And so, if you're working on a much older app, meanings are fairly set. You don't want to upset the apple cart by changing things needlessly under customers by changing icons or changing the meaning of things. But for new products, or like I said, a lot of what I do nowadays is prototyping. It's all brand new and it all has to be pretty quick. And so finding, finding the right icon or finding the right label for the icon fairly quickly is it's a big need for me. And it always has been, but I, I also studied linguistics in school. And so that's just part of what you do. Like yeah. if you become a professional linguist, it becomes your job to document the real world usage of language. That's that's the job. 
And so it's funny to me that this is all like colliding in my career now. Yeah. But iconography is super hard. Drawing icons is super hard. That's literally semiotics as a job. And on a design team, you know, button labels are usually called microcopy. And there usually isn't a dedicated microcopywriter. Like it just kind of falls to the designer to write something that makes sense very often, unless you're on a, at a big company. So, you know, a tool that surfaces good icons, good microcopy, gives you some confidence. That's, uh, <laughs> that's valuable to me. So when you find the icon you want to use in simple source, is it, is it as easy as hitting command C to have that in your clipboard to paste it into wherever it needs to go or, um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in, uh, in code or if you're working with engineers, you need to give them that unique identifier. Okay. And so you need to be able to copy that. And if you're using something like Figma or sketch where you want to paste the icon itself into the thing that you're drawing, mm-hmm. um, you want to copy that. And I've got that as an alternate keyboard shortcut or, okay. you know, in the context menu, because in a weird turn of events, Apple also publishes all of these icons in their SF font, the San Francisco pro font family. Okay. They're added, they're added to the font as characters. Like Which, in a, so in you a paste it far distant and resize yeah. it as a text thing. Yeah, they're yeah. like non-standard emoji. Okay, they're just they're just in there. Yeah, which it it is limiting because you have to have the font to do that. But you know, with print to PDF or you know, just taking screenshots, that's that's not a limitation on on sharing that with the people who need to see it, like managers or whatever. But for tools like Sketch and Figma, you can just copy and paste that character into your design, and it's there. And you can make it bold, or you can make it bigger or smaller, and you're not losing any fidelity. Is this font built into all the Apple platforms or do you have to go out and download it to add it to, say, your iPad? To use it for copy and paste, you have to download it, which is a bit of a bummer. Okay. Um, the system, you when you're using them in apps, the system does it through a totally different mechanism. Okay. Through like, yeah. through like some, some APIs for calling images out of text. Yeah. Because they, you know, for buttons and stuff, you're typically using these as images. So it's in code They're not like... In that example. Yeah. So. So the font is an optional download, and it's pretty much only possible to install on a Mac. So that's a big limiting factor. Oh, you cannot but, install this on an iOS device. There's even, huh? Yeah, I th- I have heard of someone trying to install it through like that the old iTunes vector. I don't even know if that's possible anymore. Yeah. But like with without any without any luck, huh? That's such a weird. Is it? Is how big is this font? Is this some like ginormous? Um, there are a few meg. I okay. recently, I was, I was recently using these fonts in a PDF, and I used a few different weights of mm-hmm. the font. And you know, every weight of a font, whether it's bold or regular or thin, is a whole separate font file. Right. And so that when then when I went to print the PDF of this document, it was like a five megabyte document <laughs> or a five megabyte PDF because. PDF embeds the font right. inside of the PDF file. And so it's like, oh, I can't I can't send send someone a five megabyte PDF just because I like the font. Right. <laughs> yeah. is... In the Mac version of this app, is there gonna be like a way to walk people through installing these fonts on that Mac? Yep, absolutely. Okay. Because one of the one of the weirder parts is if you're running a beta operating system, those 
symbols are available to you, like that year's symbols, because mm-hmm. they publish new ones every year, just you know, just like emoji. Right. Um, so if you're running a beta operating system, those symbols are available to you in code, but they're not available to you to copy and paste from the font <laughs> until they until Apple releases a new version of the font. So there's def- certainly on the Mac app, I have a ton of different paths for just alerting you that it's like you're not you're not going to have a good time if you try and copy this particular symbol today. Maybe wait a few months. Yeah. Or- <laughs> so um, apps use these, of course. What other kind mm-hmm. of use cases and different projects are SF symbols used in? Like, Are web pages starting to use these now? Is it, Or where else do we see these? So Apple's licensing is pretty restrictive. Okay. Um, I haven't seen, and I should read it, more closely. I should take a magnifying glass to yeah. that license agreement to see if you're allowed to subset the font. Um, but all of the web tools that I've seen um, are very circumspect about like <laughs> about embedding the font in the web page. They just kind okay. of they'll they'll put the glyph on the page and if you have the font installed, then great, you'll see it. But if you don't, then you just get, you know, the old gotcha. the old question mark box. So web design, not so much right now. Not so much, yeah. So very much just like things that are local to your computer and then Apple's family of platforms for for app design. Okay. And there are certainly possibilities. Like you are allowed to export and modify these. Um, and some of them some of them have very specific uh, trademarks on them. Like you're not allowed to export and modify the AirPlay symbol. That's just AirPlay is an Apple trademark. Yes. They don't want you to do that. You're not allowed to export and modify the Xbox logo for obvious reasons. Yeah. So Apple obviously has an agreement with Microsoft to include the Xbox logo so long as they don't let people mess with it. That's fascinating. The Xbox logo is a part of SF symbols. That that's a thing. I think that's I think that's because of um, third party controller support. Oh, duh. Because the, the Sony and Nintendo have their logos in there as well. Probably. I don't know if I've seen the Nintendo logo, but Sony, yes. Okay. Yeah, because I know the Joy-Cons are now supported, finally. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's like they are ultimately images, and so they can ultimately be exported in any image format. But um, I've been holding off on that, obviously, just to try and hit a 1.0 ship date. Yeah. And because I, I really need to look at that license agreement to make sure I'm not going to get in trouble for doing yeah. it. So this app started life before Vision OS was a, a thing, correct? It did. Yeah. Um, yeah. It actually started as a macOS app. Okay. Which makes sense with the font being there. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Xcode, Figma, Sketch, all these tools that developers and designers are using every single day are on the Mac. Right. And so that, for the longest time for me, was the primary, primary interface. Yeah. And then because I spend so much time prototyping and sketching on my iPad, then I was like, well, I need an iPad app. Otherwise, you yeah. know, I just have to go and open my Mac to look up a symbol. Right. And so I added, added iPad support. And then, you know, when you, if you make an iPad window small enough, it is essentially an iPhone app. Might as well. Might as well add iPhone support. And so it just kind of snowballed from there. And then Did the app, when Apple Vision Watch OS was announced... Might as well yet? <laughs> I... I'm tempted by Apple Watch and TVOS, but I'm, I'm like <laughs> at least at least smart enough to not jump on that for one o. Yes, very smart. Yes. So, um, <laughs> what design considerations did you have to rethink with Apple Vision Pro and Vision OS? Is is there something that you know 
you initially thought, oh, this should this should work pretty well, migrating my iPad up over here, and then oh, and not so much. Well, so we talked about how earlier, like Vision OS apps are very very similar. They're they're definitely cut from the same cloth as iPad apps. Yeah, and so thankfully not a bottom up redesign. Like I didn't have to like throw out a ton of stuff. But in some ways, you know, Vision OS is more like Mac OS. Like we we're talking about buttons being too attention grabbing yeah. on iPad OS because iPad OS comes with the assumption of running full screen. Like most apps are run full screen, and like Stage Manager is a very niche use case. Mm-hmm. But Mac OS and Vision OS, you come with the assumption of multitasking. You are going to be one window of many, and yes. There is such a thing as standing out for the wrong reasons in that environment. Yeah. So I think there will be some like some toning down of design <laughs> from a lot of apps for Vision OS. And I've done a little bit of that, like, you know, toolbar buttons that were hot pink. I'm like, oh, that's that's jarring. And so yeah. you know, I think if you look at a lot of the Vision OS apps in in the keynote and on the website and stuff, like everything is pretty monochrome because mm-hmm. there's just a lot of color in your environment that's coming through. Yeah. And you need to contrast with that. So, like, really, they're just like white is the contrast color. That's that is pretty much just what Vision OS is all about. The foreground is white because there's no dark mode. It's always just kind of like adaptive. Yeah. And we have not really seen from Apple's material what uh, what using Vision Pro in the pitch black will be like <laughs> with those cameras <laughs> and how all those perform and conveying your settings. yeah. I mean, it has it has lidar. But I also just have no idea what LiDAR does in an environment if there's many Vision Pros all like shooting <laughs> LiDAR over the room. Right, I just yeah. I don't understand how any of this works under the hood because yes. it's not my area. Right. But, um, you know, besides like toning down your buttons and like trying to be a good multitasking citizen, mm-hmm. there's something if I can like embarrass myself as a developer uh, I was talking about how Mac OS was the primary interface. Like that is, you know, it's where I expect most people to use sure. the app. And that, that means like the iPad and then the iPhone are like secondary and tertiary and they were like, derivative interfaces yeah. and, you know, simplified or at least made like correct to their platform mm-hmm. idiom, but not like radically rethought because I'm, I'm one person and I'm trying sure. to ship an app on three platforms using vision OS and seeing how much it has in common with iPad OS, it's like, oh, okay, now Mac OS is starting to be outnumbered. And <laughs> I personally consider Vision OS to be a primary like productivity platform. I plan to use Xcode and Figma in Vision OS because I plan to just be using my Mac at the kitchen counter through Vision Pro. Yeah, so, the, the interesting use case is so Xcode will run on the Mac. And in Vision OS, you just get one window for that Mac with version one of this iteration, at least with version 1.0 of the software. So it highly encourages your Mac to be running a full screen app, in my mind, in this mm-hmm. case, Xcode. And then um, Simple Source being a different full screen app running in Vision OS. And I'd imagine copy and paste between all the platforms will work as it does with Mac to iPad with the universal clipboard. So I'd imagine, yeah, we'll be using some productivity apps within vision OS that talk to the Mac in cool ways. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of like, to my mind, it makes vision OS a primary platform and iPad OS 
because it has so much in common, yeah. is thus also a primary <laughs> platform. And now it's like, all right, yeah. is macOS a legacy platform now? Am I am I rethinking this entire <laughs> app based on iPadOS idiom? And I'm like, and I did. I yeah. <laughs> I just I sat down and I was like, okay, I've made all these design decisions based on macOS idiom. And I'm gonna throw them out <laughs> because doing it this other way feels much better on iPad. Yeah. And so it will also feel much better on vision. And that's what I want. And so I'm like, I'm in the process of just redesigning huge chunks of the app just because of that like mental shift that I've made. Mm-hmm. And now that means adapting the Mac UI from the iPad UI instead of the other way around. Yeah. Are the SF, SF symbols available in any kind of three dimensional format? Or have you considered some way of lifting, lifting the symbols off the screen slightly to be like, you know, you know, fake, fake three D almost. <laughs> they aren't, um, and a lot of them would do poorly. Okay, at that, okay. Uh, like, so, like, I've I've thought about it. Um, I've seen some some efforts. I think Steve Trotton Smith again mm-hmm. um, at like extruding shapes, yeah, like taking a two D shape and making it pseudo three D, yeah. Um, because Vision OS apps, like, if you go side on, they're 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 not even paper thin. They are non-existent side on. <laughs> And so there's something about making it a little 3D that's interesting. But I'm also like, I've used plenty of font management apps over the years that like let you explore all the characters in a font. And then they're like, what if we rendered it in brass? What if we made it? And I I understand if you're someone who who sells uh, like door numbers for a living that you do actually want to see things extruded in brass because that's what you're selling. I'm just, I'm not 100% sure that's necessary for vision, for, uh, for symbols. Yeah, it'd be fun if you know you integrate these symbols with like I'm designing a, a a VCR and I can lift the play button off the symbol source and drag it into <laughs> my, mm-hmm. my fake VCR I'm making. <laughs> oh, so f- uh, I'm I better not get in trouble for this. Fun fun fact about Apple Campus is they just use symbols everywhere. They're like their their SF symbols on their trash cans and on their recycle bins and on their elevator buttons. Restrooms, just like, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, they're just like, why would we draw this again when we have all of these icons at our disposal? <laughs> and you're yeah. seeing that more and more in dub-dub presentations as well. Right. Like a lot of a lot of people giving presentations are like, man, I would have had to like ask someone to draw me a thing, but now I'll just dig up a, a totally yeah, new one. Definitely. Designing your app. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the iPad is kind of the best way to be designing now. If it feels good there, it's gonna feel good in Vision OS. Does it just feel roomier? In Vision OS, uh, from what you've seen um, in, in WWDC videos? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think roominess feels relative to the space that you're constrained in. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't open a lot of windows on my iPad yeah. unless, I'm like, unless I'm actively multitasking mm-hmm. because the screen just gets full really quickly and it yeah. feels cramped. But if you're doing what our like our multitasking friend did in the keynote and you have four windows just kind of like arrayed around you and like the music app is off to your left it's not even in your peripheral vision you have to turn your head it's like cool you like most of your day you're not even looking at the music app but it's there yeah. and you can just turn your head at any time it's like that is that's roomy because you're really just looking at what you want to look at without a lot of stuff just in the periphery yeah as far as current fun- functionality in your app What's mm-hmm. you mentioned some of what's there? Is there anything you haven't mentioned yet as far as what's there and 
as far as additional features, anything you hope to add for launch, or is it just a matter of kind of polishing up the current UI to to be able to ship it? Well, I mean, besides that major undertaking of <laughs> redesigning the UI, yeah, as far as that, this yeah, app is that little thing. You know, this app is feature complete. It's been on <laughs> test flight for a while. Like, <laughs> if I was smarter, I would just ship it. But <laughs> I am instead like undertaking this this uh, major renovation. But it's uh, there is functionality built in that is very much geared towards developers mm-hmm. um, because that is the target market. And it's you know if you see a symbol and you like it and you want to use it, but your app is targeting iOS 14 and greater, yeah. and this symbol was published in iOS 15, oh, you need to right. know about that. Definitely. Um, so I have like right now I, I show the date of release and let you also look at you know what specific what that corresponds to. For different platforms, because a symbol that came out in uh, technically in September of 2023, uh, it isn't. Oh wait, it is out yet for Sonoma. Never mind. Yeah. So let's talk about last year, right. September of 2022. Symbols that came out for iOS 16 didn't didn't hit macOS for another month, and so there's like there's that entire mapping of of releases to OS versions to dates that is like right weird and interesting. Is there going to be a filter? To like filter out, I just want stuff from this point forwards. Yeah, yeah. And so I have. It's funny. There's there's a whole treasure trove of features that I've just kind of like hidden because I'm you know want to ship instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like yeah. as soon as as soon as one ships, then I can unhide those features and make sure they're good, and then ship a one dot one, and that'll almost certainly be before Vision Pro. Yeah. But things like that uh, version filter, where you're like, I am targeting iOS 13 only show me symbols from iOS 13 and earlier. Like that's yeah. that's critical right. to like anybody working on an app that's been around for more than five minutes. Yeah, for Mac and things yeah. like previewing it in your previewing it in your company's colors, which is you know if you've worked on an app mm-hmm. and your app is tinted to us to the company colors, that's what you're looking at all day, and you just kind of want to see it previewed that way. Yeah, things like that where it's just like little quality of life features for designers and developers. As far as input in Vision OS. I'd imagine you have to design this app with the expectation that they may not even have a keyboard or mouse in front of them entirely Mm -hmm. hand and eye, but also most of them probably will also have a keyboard and mouse because they're working in Xcode alongside this. And uh, how do you design with that in mind of input versatility? That feels a lot like iPad OS really. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, it's interesting because a lot of apps, mine included, the input, especially text input, is really limited. Like yeah. it's a search field. Right. There, there are some other fields for text input, but it, this is not an app for composing text the way that Xcode is yes. or IA Writer or any of these apps where you would expect to use a hardware keyboard. Because I like I really use my hardware keyboard a lot because I'm either writing text or I'm writing code, and Going back to our conversation about gestures earlier, mm-hmm. design tools use keyboard very heavily. Even though you think of like designing is a very mouse-heavy uh, yeah. process or or stylus-heavy process, the number of keyboard modifiers, the number of keyboard shortcuts that you have to use just to get any work done at all in design tools is kind of horrifying. There's an old joke about the Photoshop save for web claw. You have to like contort your hand into a horrible little claw in order to press the six buttons right. in order to save for a web. And 
you know, everybody gets RSI eventually. Yeah. And so I'm like, actually, like I said about ergonomics earlier, very excited about this platform that it could solve a lot of that. But I'm certainly going to bring my keyboard to it to start with right. just because that's that's the habit I've formed. I'm, I'm a keyboard person. Yeah. And maybe I can switch to a split keyboard or like, you know, can you buy trousers with keyboards in the legs or something? <laughs> right. There's, there's got to be something there that makes it a little better. But I'm really curious how text input will evolve over time because programming is heavily keyboard bound, as I said. But mm-hmm. like, can you have like a multi-finger midair swipe keyboard? Like if you're using all 10 fingers, can you just right. type out a, a word just by doing, like casting a magic spell? <laughs> yeah. um, can, I, can I dictate at whispering volume or do I have to be enunciating? Or do I have to be enunciating loudly the way that I feel like I have to do with Siri? Yeah, it's it seems like there's so much potential here. Like, and earlier we we're talking about gestures. Like, yeah, I want to be able to just like I don't know, like flick my thumb and have a backspace or an undo. Yeah, like I there's so much potential for fluency that doesn't rely on a keyboard, and I'm just like I'm waiting for it because it's like they haven't they haven't shown it, and we know what the standard gestures are because they published them, right. and we're just we're waiting on like that that next level that that next level which could honestly be 5 years in the making yeah so ipad os is very constrained to a single window you know you can do multiple windows but it's really not 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 doesn't you know shine there um vision os on the other hand you got all the room in the world multiple windows these ornamental windows for your apps um what are your thoughts on having you know pop out windows to your app does it make sense in this case or does it make best sense as a single floating window i mean i think this platform is geared towards power users Mm -hmm. and and i think like maybe it's a gimmick maybe it's something to do with eye tracking but the the ornaments and stuff that are in different uh depth planes Mm -hmm. there's something there that's probably has a good explanation and they're not telling us but i think that it's it's nice and it's interesting that they can say, "Oh, we're not bound by the rectangle anymore." Right. If it doesn't, if it doesn't have to be in the rectangle, then don't put it in the rectangle. But I think Vision OS is as suited to multi-window stuff as Mac OS ever was, yeah. which makes me happy because yeah. it is a power user platform. Mm-hmm. But even saying that, like, there's been a clear trend on Mac OS away from floating panes into like contained sidebars and things like. I don't even know if there were such things as photo viewers back in the day, but you probably just looked at your Finder window and clicked on a photo in Finder and opened it in a new window yeah. to look at it in a new window. Occasionally you'd photos. hit uh, the space bar to, to play it as Quick Look or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and Quick Look is, like, relatively speaking, young. But things like, I was just thinking, like the Photos app. I was just thinking CoverFlow as a very horizontal window floating above your entire space in a 3d way could be a lot of fun in vision os oh yeah like i mean we said you know they are they're obviously being very conservative about what they ship in 1.0 but like the the space management that they have to be playing with to ship like three or four years from now has got to be something really interesting yeah because yeah i want to save a certain number of windows in a certain configuration and pull them out of my hat yeah. Like I, I essentially want spaces, like yes. the Mac OS version of spaces. I want it in virtual space. Yeah. But for now, like I'll be happy to work from my living room and just like leave some windows over by the couch 
and leave a different set of windows over by the kitchen table. And I'll just physically move if I need to use different yeah. apps. Yeah. But yeah, there's got to be something interesting they're working on for for space management. Yeah, I can I I can't imagine developers making use of these very narrow, wide app windows that just would not make sense in any other platform. I think that could be pretty interesting. Mm. Um, yeah. I think, I think, yeah, multi-window from a single apps perspective is, is welcome, even though, uh, iPadOS clearly dissuades you from it. Like it's yes. possible on I- iPadOS, but, but yeah, not, you, you but don't it's, see it's crowded. It's very often on iPadOS. And yeah. And, uh, Vision OS uh, design guidelines actually warn against doing too much okay. with with too many windows yeah. because it can apparently feel crowded. <laughs> and I don't think designers have ever like put a great deal of effort into making sure things don't feel claustrophobic before. But now that's like that's a legitimate concern, right? That your user interface could actually cause people distress. So that's that's on the designer's head. Yeah, it, you have to look at all the phobias. Make sure your app doesn't take the spider phobia or whatever the whole the mm-hmm. whole phobia. The, yeah, the too many small holes. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I think I think as a user, the freedom to open multiple windows is more than welcome. Yeah. Um, like I certainly have already put like an open a new window button in my context windows because because why not? Right. And I I don't use that context. I don't use that button on iPad OS. I've never felt the need. Yeah. But in Vision OS. If I can open something in a little window and then throw it onto the other side of the room for safekeeping, then I will. Yeah, um, that'd be kind of funny if um, you know your filing cabinets in the real world. You just open one up that's empty, <laughs> put, put windows in there for safekeeping for later. They can pull out. Uh, I was just thinking about that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> or you like program the action button on your phone to like switch between different windows. Yeah, in your Vision OS, right? Yeah, there should totally be some kind of action button integration with Vision OS. Maybe it's from the watch would make make more sense uh, there in some ways. I mean, part of me, part of me wants to, but knows that this is a a zero margin business and that like you really struggle to make any money in. But yeah. I want to make Bluetooth accessories where it's just like you know, like how guitars come with, you can buy stomp boxes yeah. that add effects to your totally. guitar output. It's like, I just, I just want stomp boxes all around. When I, when I step on it, it just talks to my device and triggers something. Yeah. That'd be great. And the, the closest we've got is like weird home kit buttons that like go through my Ikea hub right. to do weird stuff. Yeah, Cause but, I make Bluetooth pedals that talk to iPad where you can change your pages and stuff. So I, I wonder how far that stuff could go. Um, yeah. I just want buttons everywhere. Yeah. One thing I was thinking of collections, like as you're working on different projects, probably not version one, but version two, I'd imagine, you know, say favoriting certain things for certain collections of icons you're working with for different projects. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, that's a great feature, but I want it, I would want it to sync, which means I need to like, Mm -hmm look into cloud kits. So like, yeah. let's just put that on the back burner. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, you, you look at the scope balloon and then you're like, oh, okay, not today. Yes. Yes. Anything else about symbol source before we move on? No, I mean, I'm, I'm kicking myself for this like major renovation that I'm doing and I should just ship it already, but no, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to <laughs> happy to like get it right. Yeah. It is one of those things, which is uh, definitely a curse because I have a lot of friends, um, who have a much smarter view of shipping software where they're yeah. just like, all right, let's, let's build a concept and ship it. And if it has any traction at all, then, 
then it's got legs and let's work on it more. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm just like, no, I, I already know that I want this and I already prototyped it for myself. Right. And I know that it has legs and I know it has legs for myself. So I'm just going to sit here and polish it for a good long time <laughs> before I put it out in the world. And maybe that's a, a side effect of working in so many hardware companies where it's like the, the, the development time for hardware is so long that you are given the liberty of, of years to work on the software that goes with that hardware. Yeah. Yeah. And you know that people are mostly not updating the software on those hardware devices. So you, you want to get it right out of the box. Yeah. So it's, there's some, uh, some brain damage I've taken from working in hardware startups that right. is now leaking into my <laughs> software life. Yeah. Um, so we've already chatted a bit about, you know, CAD apps and other things like that. Any vision OS apps you hope get created by either yourself or someone else one day soon? Yeah, actually, if anyone listening has millions of dollars, please hit me up and I'll, uh, I'll hire a team to work on this because this, uh, this is not for me. I think it would just be so cool that, you know how a lot of movies, almost all action movies nowadays are just shot entirely on green screen with the little tracking balls yeah. and then they're composited with background plates. Mm-hmm. And in the old days, like in the Star Wars original trilogy, those backgrounds were all hand painted. Yeah. But now they're 3D models. Mm-hmm. And I assume the job of a set designer in this world is just more difficult than it needs to be. Yeah. This is like, you're not just a set designer, you're a 3D artist. Huh. And, or those are now two totally different jobs that mm-hmm. like there are set designers who, who literally go thrifting for cool old objects and put them on a shelf yes. for when they need a physical set. And there are 3D artists who do something entirely different and they don't go thrifting or maybe they do just for inspiration. Yeah. But I think an AR tool for virtual set design or just, you know, virtual interior design Mm -hmm. would be incredibly fun. Just having this Mary Poppins bag full of furniture and books and art and tchotchkes to just put in a virtual space Mm -hmm. and see how it feels. I think that would be so fun. Like, and I'm a habitual furniture rearranger. So this is maybe that's coming into it here, but like rearranging furniture with your eyes and repainting with a snap of a finger and like not having to drill holes to hang a new piece of art. Yeah. Like this is, <laughs> I, I spent the last few weekends changing out light fixtures and, and stuff around the house. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> I'm feeling it right now, yeah. <laughs> moving furniture and standing on ladders. And it's like, it's, it sounds fun to me. And it also sounds really useful to a very specific industry. And so I think that would be incredible to work on. Yeah. That'd be super cool. And it'd be amazing if, you know, integrate with final cut pro and the other, video editors Mm -hmm. and whatever they used to compile and the gestures yes the infinite gestures you could invent for that workflow yeah that'd be cool um yeah uh, a lot of sets are indoors some stuff is outdoors you have to i'm curious how that as we've talked about earlier how how outdoors will behave (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah um any final thoughts regarding spatial computing before we start to wrap it up or before we wrap it up yeah (laughs) We talked a bit earlier about like 3D objects as as things that you might want to subscribe to, like a feed of. I'm just like, yeah. ah, yeah. I just I know that they they demoed that dinosaur thing, yeah. but it's like there are so many more things and places in the world that are not safe for me to go or not safe for me to be near right. that I want to. Yeah, and it's like, all right, if nature documentaries can all be shot in 3D. I'll be a happy camper or if like some 3d artists just produce like a life-size grizzly bear model that I can like stand near because I've only ever stood, you know, 60 feet from a grizzly bear at a zoo. Yes. And I'm not getting, not getting any closer. 
and I've never stood on the edge of a volcano. There are all these things that I yeah. will never do that I would love to see up close. And I think there's like, that's another one of those ideas that is gated entirely by if people can make 3D objects for it. Yeah. But I just, there is so much to see in a virtual world mm-hmm. because of the, you know, the constraints of the real world that don't let us you know, poke at, at uh, blue whales yeah. in the flesh. The horizon, uh, um, call the mountain. It really, uh, you start the game in this boat ride with these monster machines jumping over you and it, uh, the sense of immersion is there. It really is. I can't wait to <laughs> experience stuff like that in Apple vision pro and, National Geographic being owned by Disney. Perhaps they mm-hmm. will do some cool stuff with that, hopefully. Yeah. Now you're now you're encouraging me to buy a PSVR you too. Totally I, should. It has eye tracking so you I, can play around with how that all works in some of the games. <laughs> I held I held off because the only game I was really interested in playing was Moss. And I've already played Moss. I just wanted to play it in higher res. You you mentioned you you are not a racer, but Gran Turismo, you will want to then buy a racing wheel, which is an incredible experience in that as well. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Expensive hobbies then. Yes. Yes. It, it's a rabbit hole. Uh, it's a fun one. <laughs> um, well, yeah, thank you so much for your time. This has been a really fun chat. I really enjoyed uh, learning more about. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Where can people find you on the interwebs? And when your app launches, where should people look out for that? I am at Clarko on mastodon.social and on too many other uh, social medias to bother with, but I, I'm really only paying attention to Mastodon. Yes. It's uh, It feels like uh, the Twitter of, of 2012. So yeah. it's a it's a, a safe place for dorks. Yeah. And that is where I'll be posting about Simplesaurus and any future projects. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Well, that's my discussion with Clarko. My thanks to Clarko for his time recording, and my thanks to you for your time and attention tuning in. And finally, my thanks again to Agenda for sponsoring this episode. Learn more at www.agenda.com and download the app today for free from the App Store to get started. With that, I'll talk to everyone again next month for another episode of Vision Pros.